This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins from my Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Growing in your yieldedness to the person of the Holy Spirit, growing in your knowledge of the adversary and his unique weapons against you, and growing in your knowledge of your assignment and call from God and to the people that you're called part-time or per-season. That's important because what that shows us is all that God has available for us flows through our relationship with individual persons of the Godhead. Faith is trust in their character, trust in their person, trust in their person. Why I'm going this route is because of the excesses we have seen in the body of Christ, especially in our circles as word of faith, people that emphasize word of faith. We got to the place where we started putting faith in things rather than faith in him. Our faith is in him. And even when the written word reveals the living word, it's about the focus of our relationship with him. Faith is the is the vehicle by which you appropriate that relationship, the value of that relationship. For the father, it is primarily his character. Faith receives or appropriates the love of the father, the kindness of the father, the mercy of the father, the goodness of the Father, the faithfulness of the Father. Faith receives it. That's weak. Faith appropriates it. And remember, in appropriating, oh, I didn't come with my, my napkin. So if someone can help me with that. Faith requires a seizing. It, 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 it almost flaunts this thing of need to ask permission. Th th that is so important. And the reason is not because, are you saying you don't need permission? Listen to me. What is already provided by grace does not require permission. Don't confuse the need to get permission with the need to keep your heart humble. Humility of heart is something all of us need to keep working on, ongoing. A consecrating of ourselves to say, my life belongs to you. I yield my life to you. Nothing of this is mine. I, I, I like to say it this way. He owns you twice. He owns you by virtue of creation in original intent. When he originally designed you by original intent, he owned you. He lost you and I in Adam. I pause there because 
Though it was Adam that sinned, you have to take responsibility. I sinned in Adam. Because the lust I yield to is not Adam that is yielding. It's me that is yielding to lust. It's me that yielded to covetousness. It's me that is yielding to envy. It's me that is yielding to stress. Adam opened me up to it, but I did it like Adam did it. So my coming to acknowledge this lust is me yielding to it is important. It's that, and I'm getting to areas ahead of myself here. I'll leave it and come back to it. But, but I emphasize that to say this. It is important to know that he owns me by virtue of creation, original intent, but he owns me also by virtue of redemption. He lost me in Adam, then gave his everything in Christ to buy me back. So 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, For the love of God constrains us, so we thus judge, that if one died for all, all that live should live for him that died. Our lives don't belong to us. That sounds like a strange thought. Your life is not yours. It's not yours. Galatians 2.20 For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is not mine. Original intent, scripture for that. Romans, sorry, Revelation 4.11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they were created. You and I were created for him to take pleasure in. We, he lost us and he paid back for us. Now we belong to him to take pleasure in. I'll extend that a little bit. That means it's not just your body that is not yours. Your mind is not yours. Your soul is not yours. Your spirit is not yours. You are bought with a price. Your giftings are not yours. Your abilities are not yours. I'll push it further. Your wife is not yours. Your children are not yours. Your husband is not yours. Your business is not yours. Your money is not yours. I'll say that quickly. That's why tithe is not an issue of New Testament or Old Testament. Tithe is an issue of consecration. Tithe says, all that I am is yours. All that I used what you gave me to get is yours. And the principle of tithe is the first consecrates the rest. To acknowledge is his. I get concerned when I meet people that say, I don't believe in tithing. It's a consecration issue. It's your way of keeping that heart humble. Of saying, it's yours. You see, every struggle with forgiveness is because you're not seeing the cross. Every struggle with bitterness is because you're not seeing the cross. The only thing that gives you audacity to refuse to forgive it is the enemy blinding you to how much you were forgiven. And why are we saying this? We said all that of humility of heart to separate humility 
from the need to collect permission. You remember? Faith does not need permission. The cross was permission. Listen to me. Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus, Jesus, on his way to Jairus' house. He had told Jairus, I'm going with you. Walking towards Jairus' house, a woman that had faith took power and Jesus did not know who took it. Somebody said seized. She seized power without Jesus' permission. Jesus had to look for her. Someone took something. And it wasn't like who took what they shouldn't take. It was really an excitement that someone knew how to take. Because everyone he met actually always needed permission. Mark and the first chapter, verse 14. A, a leper comes to Jesus and says, I know you have power. What I struggle with is I, I'm not, I, your willingness concerns me. And the reason your willingness concerns me is I know me. I know what I've done. I know what I did yesterday. I, I know what I did last week. I know to whom I did it and how I did it. And because of what I know of me, I'm not sure that what I have done won't affect your willingness. <laughs> you see, until you understand what omnibenevolence means, it means that your actions cannot change. It's not just what makes this word omnibenevolence dangerous is that there are two concepts here. There's the concept of omni-bene-volence and omni-bene-ficience. Omni-bene-volence means always only having good thoughts, having good will, volition towards, always only. This means always only having the fullness of ability to bring his will to pass. You and I have always been in situations where someone has a monetary need and you hear about it and immediately you hear about it, you just like, ah, oh God, I wish I could do something. You have good will towards, but you lack the, the ability to back your good will to bring change in that situation. This is the good news. The one that we're dealing with is not just that he has goodwill only towards you. He has released all of his ability and all of his knowledge to work all of time and situation before the foundations of the world, which was manifested at the cross. That all that is his can be yours if you know, if you be ready. So that is why the devil specializes in dealing in darkness. It is blinding you to what is yours, blinding you to who you are in him. 
distracting you. You know, you know, if can't we, can't we, as long as he can keep you, your eyes away from where you should be, you're not taking what is yours. And we see Jesus' response in Mark 1. I will. Think about it. Think about it. Are you saying all those people Jesus healed, all of them had good moral behavior? That means healing didn't have anything to do with them. It had to do with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of all grace. You start to teach like this and there are few people rightly that get concerned. Pastor Charles, you are sounding like this grace message that is everywhere now. I heard Andrew Womack say this. You see, until we preach the grace of God to the point where someone says, are you saying we can do anything? Then you respond, no. Till we respond like Paul responded in Romans 6. Shall we sin because grace abounds? the, The logic there is you preach grace That's why they said that. If they haven't started saying that, you really haven't preached grace. Mm. Understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that we should sin that grace should abound. No. I'm saying until you have preached grace to the point that God, ah, God, this is too much. And people feel like, I can take advantage of this. You haven't preached grace. But listen to me. Titus 2 and 11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny all ungodliness and worldly lust. The same grace that reveals the overwhelming, inexhaustible supply of God also teaches. Why? Because there are five aspects to grace. Note this. Then we'll shift gears a little bit. There are five aspects to the manifold grace of God. The tendency when we think of grace is to think of grace just from the point of salvation. But grace is in five manifolds. First Peter 4.10 talks about the manifold grace of God. The many dimensioned, the many sided grace of God. And there are at least five sides we see in the New Testament. There is what we know as saving grace. Saving grace. A dimension of God's grace that is saving grace. A dimension of God's grace that is Standing grace. A dimension of God's grace that is sanctifying grace. A dimension of God's grace that is sharing grace. Saving, standing, sanctifying, sharing, serving. Serving, S-E-R-V-I-N-G. 
Saving grace has to do with the impartation of God's life into your spirit. Standing grace has to do with the impartation of God's strength into your spirit, soul, and body. Sanctifying grace has to do with the impartation of God's holiness into your being. Sharing grace has to do with the impartation of God's generosity into your life. Serving grace has to do with the impartation of God's ability into your life. Saving imparts God's life, Zoe. Standing imparts God's strength. Sanctifying impacts God's holiness. Sharing impacts God's generosity. Serving impacts God's ability. Saving grace keeps you from being eternally lost. Saving grace keeps you from being eternally lost. Standing grace keeps you from being defeated in life's battles. Saving grace keeps you from being eternally lost. Standing grace keeps you from being defeated in life's battles. Sanctifying grace keeps you from being contaminated by the world. Sharing grace keeps you from being self saving grace. Thank you very much for bringing that caution. Saving grace keeps you from being eternally lost. Standing grace keeps you from being defeated in life's battles. In battles. Life's battles. Sanctifying grace keeps you from being contaminated by the world. Sharing grace keeps you from being self-centered and selfish. Serving grace keeps you from being unproductive. So, there are five aspects that we see in the New Testament of grace. Saving, standing, sanctifying, sharing, serving. And this is what we're saying. Everything that is of grace must be appropriated that means if I'm not appropriating saving grace, what happens? I am I'm spiritually eternally lost. If I'm not appropriating standing grace, I'm defeated in life's battle. I don't know who I am. In Christ. Remember that scripture in Romans and the fifth chapter, the second verse. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God, by whom we have access in the grace wherein we, having done all to, that is where we walk in, standing in life's victory. If I'm not walking in sanctifying grace, what happens? I'm being contaminated by the world. One of the truths that was so, blessed my life so much as a younger Christian was this understanding in Romans and chapter 12. Sorry, Romans chapter 6 verse 12. That sin shall not rule in my mortal body that I should yield to its loss thereof. Woo! That was revelation. That the loss that I feel in my body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to sin. That feeling of envy 
It does not belong to me. So I need to appropriate it. I need to tell Charles, stop that nonsense. Stop it. Stop that nonsense. So, God bless them. Is that the last one? I rejoice with them. You have to appropriate it. You have to reject the well-practiced and modeled envy and strife that has been modeled for you in your family, in your polygamous home, that makes you feel that that one that that person got from the second wife or the third wife is the last one, and because they've got it, now you won't get. So you have to maintain ill will towards them. No, sir. No. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The one that is my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's not just more. There's exceeding abundantly above for me. I can rejoice with them when they're advancing because I know there's more coming my way. So part of appropriating is learning to reject the feelings, the thinkings. I thought I'd forgiven them. I was speaking along these lines, not exactly along these lines, but this body of truth in Kaduna last week, talking about love, the way to victory, which we will still approach a little bit of it towards the end of maybe the seventh hour. And a lady came to me after the class, actually two days ago when I went back for the Hauser Taster session. She said, I was delivered in that class. She said, because I, I didn't realize I still maintained bitterness towards Boko Haram for killing my husband. I didn't realize I still maintained anger and pain towards my in-laws for the way they treated me after the whole of the incident. Listen to me. For you to walk in bitterness, you literally have to borrow it. It's not your nature. It's not your nature. It's a contamination. It's a contamination. It's not who you are in Christ. No, sir. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You know the, 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 the danger of borrowing things, or of allowing bitterness from the adversary, lost from the adversary, to flow through you, is that when it flows through you, some of it stays, it stays, it stays with you. And, and, and it starts, that residue starts to grow. There are things you need to let go of because it's not who you are. Yes. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And all these new things are of God. There's more kindness in you than you have discovered or anybody has discovered about you. There's more patience in you than anybody has seen about you. There's more gentleness in you than anybody suspects is in you. But listen to me. As long as you, as long as you continue through wrong thinking and the wrong use of mechanics of faith, as long as you keep saying, you know, I'm not a patient person. But I'm just not a patient. You know some people are patient. That's not my gift. As long as you keep using those wrong mechanics, you will never, you won't 
appropriate that which is true of you. And it doesn't change the fact that there's more patience in you to light the whole of Abuja if it was currency. Faith appropriates that which is provided by grace. Faith says no to the desires of this world and the lusts of this world. No, 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 no. Religious people try to justify it and rationalize it. You, you know I'm an Ekiti man. I'm just naturally stubborn. No, 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 sir. No. Not with a new life. Not with the life of God in you. Not, not with the life of, not life of God in you. You are a new creation. So this is what I'm emphasizing on purpose. Unless you are overboard on grace, aware of grace, the dynamics of faith will be a struggle. Faith seizes that which is provided by grace. Remember we talked about the denying. The bulk of the denying has to do with who the adversary is and his unique assignments and weapons against you. So when his desires come say no, that's the old man. That's the old man. I used to want such things. I don't want it anymore. No. I have... I desire the word of the God after the inward man. I delight in the law of God. His word I hide in my heart that I will not sin against him. No, I don't desire that. But you wanted it last week. That was last week. Last week is gone. I don't want it. I, I, no, I don't want it. But you are feeling it now. Yes, I may be feeling it, but it's not the truth. The truth is what God's word says about me. The truth is what God's... That is you appropriating who you are in Christ. It overlaps. Because really, it is you continually receiving the love of God that displaces the appetite for those things. Let me check my notes here and make sure I've reached where I want to reach. Then we'll move. Everything that is provided by grace must be appropriated by faith. So, that statement by Brother Hagen makes sense. That faith is the most important subject in scripture because it's the way you access everything that God has given. Remember, this God, his inclination is to overwhelmingly, an aggressive, benevolent inclination to show you kindness. It's like a magnet. He programmed you to want his will. That the longer you spend time with fellowship with him, the magnetic pull of you of the things that he's provided, it comes towards you. The longer you spend in fellowship with him, the longer the magnetic pull of the things that he has provided comes towards you. I'll walk that a little bit. A magnet attracts metals. If a magnetic object or an object of that quality is spent, is stuck to that magnet over a period of time, God bless you. That magnet, that object will have a magnetic flux of its own. Such that it starts to pull the things 
that 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 magnet has the desire and capacity to pull. As long as you, and that is why it's all about relationship. As long as you stay in relationship with the Godhead, that praying in tongues business is not a badge of spirituality. It's his design for you, my God, that blessed me again. It's his design for you to stay full of his nature. Jude 20. But ye beloved, building up yourself in the Holy Spirit, praying in the love of God. Verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. This is a good place to introduce that. The love of God is not something God has. It's the substance of who he is. He doesn't have love. He is love. Love is the substance of his being. To know God is to know love. Just like to know water is to know wetness. To know God is to know love like to know water is to know wetness. In other words, if I dip this same towel in a bucket of water, it is impossible for this towel to stay dry. If this towel stays dry, it was not put in water. Because once it is put in water, it comes out full of water, it will be to know God is to know love. To experience the person of God is to experience love. If you have not experienced love, you do not know God. Let's read 1 John 4, 7 down a little bit real quick. 1 John 4. Look at what verse 7 says. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and gnosis God, experiences God. He that loveth not has not experienced God, because God is, it is like saying, if this napkin is not wet, it has not experienced for water is In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. This is the definition of love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to... No man had seen God at any time. If we... God... And his love is hereby know we that we dwell in him. 
and he in us because he had given us his spirit. Verse 14. And we have and do testify that the father sent the son into the world. Verse 15. Whosoever shall pause. He, intric he intrinsically ties God sending his son into the world into the knowledge of God into love. He, he literally says you can't separate love from God from God sending his son into the world. It's inseparable. It's one. Then he now adds it and says which you've heard me say here before. How you love the person you like the least is the mirror perfect reflection of your love for God at his highest. Oh, I've, you've not heard it before. I'll say it again. How you love <laughs> How you love the person you like the least. How you love the person you like the least. How you love the person you like the least is the mirror perfect reflection. How you love the person you like the least is the mirror perfect reflection of your love for God at his highest. You see, the people that you didn't hear a sound from, it's not that they didn't feel pain. They just didn't express it. How you love the person you like the least is the mirror perfect reflection of your love for God at his highest. I, we, we will enter into that, but I, I just wanted to, we, we will, we will, we'll take more time with that. But this is what I wanted to emphasize based on this scripture. The definition of God's love is not the job that you just got. Is not how well your wife treats you. Is not the birth of your twins. The definition of God's love is that he sent his son to be the savior of the world. The definition of God's love is that before the foundations of the earth, the Godhead decided when humanity sins like they will, we will take responsibility for their sin and pay the compounded interest of all their sin against me and become sin with their sin to bring them into relationship with us. That means that before the foundations of the world, in the beginning God, in eternity's past, God unleashed all his love and though man sinned, 
an interest compounded on man's sin for 4,000 years at the cross, God took responsibility for all the sin, waited patiently to take payment for sin, and when it was time to pay for it, took responsibility and paid for not just the consequences of my sin, he took all of my lust, all my shame, all my covetousness, all my greed. He took all your shame, all your rejection, all your bitterness, all your anger, all of humanity's filth, all their sinful actions, all the sinful actions they will make hereafter. Took it upon himself. Yielded himself not just to the devil to take him to hell. And in hell made all the payments that you and I and all humanity should have paid for eternity. That is love. Really, it's an insult on him to say because I, don't, I didn't get that job, he didn't love me. It's an insult, really, and this coming from someone that I have experienced that, that where was God when my brother was killed? It's an insult. My, my brother was killed five days to my 40th birthday, so I flew into this country on 11th of December, four years ago, to bury my brother, take his body that had three bullets in it, had to explain to his son that his father was dead. No, that doesn't define his love for me. The devil will use circumstances to lie about the character of our father. In the midst of your pain, you will still have to judge God faithful. Yes. In spite of the abuse, in spite of the rape and rejection, in spite of the failure of the marriage, you will have to elevate the love of God above the pain of your circumstances. At some point in time, you will have to appropriate the love of God over the grief of losing a loved one. So this thing is not theory. Rubber with heat road at some point in time. You will need to use your faith to take what has been provided. Oh, I, I know what it is to lose a loved one. But in the midst of that pain, you, you will still have to go, you're a good father. You're a merciful God. Thank you for the privilege to have known him for 40 years. Thank you for the blessing he was in our life. Thank you for the great memories we shared. Father, we're good. You, 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 you've been a good God to me. Thank you for this. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the marriage. Thank you, though he, he's no longer here and we miss him, but you're a good father. We, we thank you for causing our paths to cross and, and the 10 years we had to... You, you will still have to appropriate the kindness of God in that situation. You will still have to seize it, seize it, 
sees it by faith. By faith. You will still have to take it. You, in spite of what grief is trying to do to you. In spite of what shame is trying to do to you. In spite of what guilt is trying to do to you. You will have to seize God's mercy. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.